I'm Tom DeSorcy. You've tuned in for compelling conversation on hot topics impacting Canada's fire service. This is Firefighting in Canada, the podcast. Firefighters come in many different forms, from structural to wildland, industrial to marine, and the list goes on and on. Well, one of those categories is related to the wildfire world, and that's the work done from above. Call them water bombers, air tankers, bucket ships, you name it. Rarely, however, do we single them out as they often become part of the entire wildfire category. Diego Perez is originally from Argentina and is an air tractor pilot and a volunteer firefighter in uh, St. Antoine, New Brunswick, where he joins us from today. Hi, uh, welcome. It's nice to have you uh, as part of the podcast. Hi, Tom. It's a pleasure to be here with you and talking and telling you my experience around here. I want to know more, (laughs) and this is intriguing to talk, of course, wildfire fighting from the air, and we'll get into that, but talk about the origins and and how you, you know, what what, what it was like in Argentina and how you got uh, to to Atlantic Canada. Well, um, always as a kid, you know, you want to be a firefighter, and you want to be a pilot, and your dad asks you, what do you want to do when you you grow up? Well, I want to be a pilot, I want to be a firefighter, and when I, I was... A teenager, I started helping on wildfires down there, and I saw an air tractor dropping water on top of the fire. I said, oh, why not being both? I want to be an air, uh, um, air tanker pilot, and I want to be a firefighter. So moving on in my, in my life, I figured out the best, way, the best place to be was Canada to become an air tanker pilot. And then I ended up getting the job in Canada. So here I am, flying air tankers for the New Brunswick province. So you, you didn't fly? You weren't a pilot in, in Argentina? Oh, yeah. I started flying when I was 15. Um, I got my pilot license before I got my driver license. Kind of crazy. You know, you can fly a plane, but you cannot drive a car. And, yeah, I, I flew a lot over there. Most of my career was over there. And I brought my experience to Canada to join the team that I am right now. How long have you been in Canada? Uh, it's been six years. Um, at the beginning, I was in Manitoba. And where I was a volunteer firefighter too, and I was spraying crops at that point. At that point, but the funny part of it is the plane that we were using to spray crops has a fire gate on it, so we can fight fires with it. So I start fighting small fires in there. I start learning the air firefighting with that plane. And that was really good. You were involved in firefighting, really, in the big scheme of things. But to be involved as a as a structural firefighter, I mean, that that's that's a change. That changed a lot, uh, changed my perspective. Uh, in the case of Mani- Manitoba, I got the chance to fight fires with the same guys that I was in the same fire apartment with. So, of course, you know, you missed a drop and they will mock you after in the fire station. Hey, you missed a drop, you know. Um, but I was super good. Uh, I learned a lot. That gave me a lot of feedback. So that was super important for me to learn what it's all about, you know. That uh, the guys on the ground is a more important, important part that we are just helping how to help. That was great for me. And gave me an inside perspective, you know, just how do you how do you see it from from the ground and how do you see it from the air? So that was I awesome. Want, I want to know more about your current fire department and 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 the community in which you're in. And of course, I always like to find out more and how different it is. And again, tell us more about uh, about your small town, as it were, and where it is in in New Brunswick. So we are located around 20 kilometers to the east of Mountain. Uh, we share, even though the boundaries of the mutual aid with Mountain. 
Uh, we're around 3,500 people, and it's a full a volunteer fire department. Great guys, excellent training, so I'm super happy with it. And they, they welcome me really good. It's not easy with my accent, poor guys. My captains sometimes look at me like, what are you trying to say? You know, slow down and tell me again, but it's been great, honestly. What kind of uh, what kind of calls are you attending? Uh, what's what's some well, of the risks and uh, and challenges in your community? Um, we have all kind of calls. Uh, we do some medical calls, basic until the ambulance arrive, just stabilizing patients and whatever vehicle accidents and structural fires, wildfires. We help wildfires. Uh, New Brunswick has their own wildland firefightings, firefighters, so we help them. Honestly, you know how it is. Any kind of call that will come from nine one one. We never know what's going to show up, you know. You're sleeping in the middle of the night and you don't know what pa- that patient is going to say. So, yeah, it's, it's great, honestly. How does, How does, you know, the relationship with the air side of things, uh, has has structural firefighting changed? how you how you fight fire how you're involved or is it you just totally forget to, and and do either one in a different way no it's it's awesome that i i can relate one to the other the fact that i can understand and read the smoke when i get into a wildfire you know that this smoke go it goes kind of turbulent or is getting darker or is just climbing faster than usual um is great for me so i can make the relationship in between one and the other even when sometimes it doesn't seem to be the same it's a lot of the same. And well, we, we can talk about it later, but I can make a, a small course for my fire department about what we do from there so they can understand us, what are we doing? And from the perspective that they will have on the ground to see, hey, this guy is flying on top of me. Well, it will happen if that guy flies on top of me. You know? What's going to happen? So it's, for me, I cannot take one or the other. You know, It's both at the same time. First off, I'll say that it's it's because of you guys, uh, because of wildfire and our relationships, things have changed over the years. I mean, I've been involved in, in structure. I've been involved in firefighting for a long time. And and over the years, I mean, we we changed the names of our of our apparatus. I mean, we used to have pumpers and tankers, but now they're not tankers anymore because if we call on the radio for a tanker, it's going to fly overhead. So we've had to change them all to tenders to uh, to to be part of of the wildland approach let's talk about the aircraft for a second and what you normally fly give us some of the geek out uh, um nerd out if you will some of the some some of the specs and, and on and about the aircraft that you actually fly oh for sure so what i'm flying right now is an air tractor 802 it's a single engine they're called seats single engine air tankers um, the one that I'm flying right now is on wheels, so we don't have floats. You guys in BC are used to see the floats on the plane. It's the same aircraft, same engine, just we don't have the floats on it. It has uh, quite a bit of power, 1,300 horsepower on the nose. So it takes you for a wild ride every time that you take off. And we carry 800 gallons of water or retardant, whatever we require. It's a beautiful plane to fly. I enjoy it. Uh, it's been my dream all my flying career to jump on that plane. And I'm not disappointed. It's, it's amazing. And the different thing that we have with most of airliners is we don't have autopilot. We have to hand fly all the time. It's not a, such thing of I have an autopilot. When you see an air tanker, any air tanker that you see is hand flown. It has been hand flown by the pilot. So it's pure pilot skill. No autopilot, no nothing. Just look outside, see where you're going. You fly in groups, like you're not just by yourself in terms of aircraft. There's more than one of you that would uh, be a part of a fire together. Exactly. So we usually fly on formations of three or four. 
that's not a decision that that's the air attack officer decision he will tell us how many aircraft he wants in the formation and we can go from three four or eight when we are eight it's usually or a large scale incident or um, probably the ferry time might be a little bit lo long, longer, so we increase the amount of aircraft. Or we can split in two groups, groups of four and go to different fires. Sometimes we're fighting fires and we're working on one and the other one pops up right away. So the other team gets dispatched to the next one. So the idea is cover up the largest amount of area that we can in the, in the short, period, short period of time. Who orchestrates this air show when you've got six or eight aircraft flying a as a group? I mean, I, and I say air show, I mean it because oh, I've show. been on the ground, and when I when I when I can certainly, you know, I I know that the you know you watch this go on. I mean, who who's for those that may not know who's coordinating this? So we always have a, a plane that takes off first. So we start loading, we get the call. It's like a fire department call. You get the call, you get the coordinates where you're going, what you need to load. But ahead of the planes, the tankers, will be a plane called Beard Dog. That plane takes off first and has the pilot plus an air attack officer. Those two guys are the genius behind this operation, okay? Because they have to coordinate everything. And they have to coordinate everything when they are bumping around in between the smoke, the flames, trying to coordinate the planes, how they come in, how they come out, and what, what to drop. So that air attack officer will tell us where to drop and how to drop. They, they, they are the one taking the decisions. We arrive, we get the information that we need, where in, and in which direction we're dropping, how much we have to drop. We follow those directions and get out of there. For many reasons, it might be, sometimes it's not only us, it could be the 415s, you know, the, the scooper planes. It could be helicopters at the same time. It could be helicopters moving ground crews around. So it's a huge coordination in a tiny, teeny small place. It's really tiny, teeny small place. It gets really busy around there, and those guys are the genius behind this operation. Most of the firefighters that uh, that we talk to, or most listening, I would think today, would understand that you're not there to put the fire out. You're you're there. You're part of that wildfire fight and containing the fire and and keeping it where it is to essentially uh, help the ground crews. Correct. What we do, we, we try to help the ground crews as much as we can. Um, try to reduce their workload as much as we can. But at the end, they are the one putting the fire out. They are, they are the real heroes, if you're going to put it on that way. Um, I fight the fire during the, day, during the day. As soon as the sun goes down, we go to bed. We come back the day after, well-rested. But they've been working all night to put the fire out. So they are the ones working hard to get it off. You know, we try to contain it. We try to move it and push it towards the way that we want it to go maybe to make their life easier so they don't have to hike for hours or to protect any structure. Maybe it's any structure around, so we build time for them. I say, we're gonna protect this structure so you guys have time to contain it or work somewhere else. But the real guys putting the fire out is the firefighters on the ground. You, you know you know the, the, uh, the adrenaline rush that comes with being a structural firefighter. And by that, I mean, that's that in, in, when the tones go off. When you hear tones, things happen. You feel that is that adrenaline rush for us. What from the pilot perspective, what, what, what's that adrenaline rush for you guys? Oh, the, that adrenaline rush is the same, okay? Um, we have to be careful because we're, we're dealing with airplanes. So we're not only going to the fire, we are flying, okay? We're moving up, down, forward, and hopefully no backwards, but we're moving everywhere. So we have to try to contain it. From my personal perspective, it's awesome. 
is awesome. If you like plane movies or have seen a plane movie, it's awesome. Fired up, we, we run from the pilot launch to the planes, fired up, load the planes up. We take off information. So it's three planes on the runway, four planes on the runway at the same time. We take off, you fly close by to each other and you get to the fire. And those maybe last 20 seconds when you are called to make the drop. So your team lead that is ahead of you, let's call it the captain ahead of you, makes a drop and you get instructed to make the drop after those 20 seconds are incredible. You know, when the world starts to slow down and everything around you starts to slow down and you line up on the drop and you see the flames and smoke and everything is unreal. It's something that I can close my eyes and see it in my, in my head. It's, it's go time. And when you push that switch that says fire, we have a switch on the stick that says fire and the gates open, the plane goes up really violent and you have to hold it. And it's a sensation when that guy in behind you says, hey, you hit the target, well done, it's unreal. From the structural side of things, we always train, we always practice, we always try and get better at what we do. How do you train? How do you practice doing what you do from the air? Well, that's the funny part. I mean, it's the same as structural. You don't want to have a house fire, so you have to find out any other ways to practice. As you have a burning trailer, some apartments has a burning trailer, or you can find uh, all the other ways to train. We, have, we go out once a week with water, to don't waste retardant, and we pick up a target. So we will simulate a fire, we'll coordinates and everything, and it will be the whole process, even if it's not a real fire, a whole process. Build up first, they will go, pick up the target direction, measure the wind, let us arrive, give us instructions as a real fire. So once a week, we have to go on practice. Because as an example, right now in New Brunswick, you might be aware we've been under rain for the last month, maybe. So no fires at all. But it's a dry week coming up, heat, might be a fire. So we have to be up to date training. This past summer, you know, you've seen experiences in, in the Maritimes. Were, were you involved in, in Nova Scotia? Yeah, we were involved in Nova Scotia. That was, in what capacity? So we were fully involved. Um, we sent all the airplanes, including the rear dogs. Uh, we worked there since, uh, I think, the second day that we were called. Um, in between the provinces, it's uh, like the mutual aid that we have in the fire departments, with other fire departments, it's the same. So Nova Scotia started, they called us as a mutual aid and we started working. Um, sadly, as you're aware, the wind was crazy over there and the rate of spread was so high that we were trying to protect the structures. So we're doing structural protection as much as we can um, and try to canalize the fire away from structures, uh, highways, try to build time for, for people to get out. So. Uh, in between there, we have a big fire in, in New Brunswick too. So we have to leave and switch to New Brunswick. But as soon as the one in New Brunswick was off, like the same day we were, we were flying, we finished in New Brunswick, we got redirected back to Nova Scotia. So it was a week and a half straight going. What do you know about the fires in, in BC versus say Manitoba, say New Brunswick? Uh, is, it a, is it a different type of fire uh, in the provinces? So, Obviously, fire is always the same. What will change is the fuel and terrain. So uh, fuel types and how dense the forest it become and weather uh, makes a difference. In case of BC, having the Rockies, they create their own weather. So the guys flying over there, they're super careful about valleys and creeks and where do they dive. 
because you always have to think that you have to get out. So you dive with the plane and you have to get out. So that's, that's different. How the smoke is going to create layers. So the smoke might, might close a, a valley, even when you can't fly from on top, you might not be able to dive in. So that's a different complexity. Uh, in our case, our biggest problem around here is the strong winds, super strong winds, and fog. We have a couple of days that we're fighting fires and was fog around. We cannot see it. So it's, each area has a different complexity. And the other crazy thing that happened this year was all the dead fuel in the forest coming from the hurricanes last year, it was a lot of dead fuel. So you know that wildfires, you stop it, uh, breaking the continuity of the fuel. It was super hard for the ground person, for us, to penetrate all that fuel. We have now been more and more involved in the structural protection side of a wildland fire and certainly have our role, as it were, on these events, on these incidents. But again, when it comes to the aircraft portion, it is part of the wildfire fight. But what do the structural people that are being being brought into this, what do we need to know and how can we train better to work with the air side? So, as you know, I mean, most of the fire departments around Canada are volunteers. We are volunteers, Okay. Uh, and we get called, sometimes number one will dispatch the volunteer fire, fire department at the same time as they will dispatch the wildland crews. So we might find working with them at the same time, helping, carrying water, uh, moving resources. It's a lot, of, a lot of things that might be happening on a big incident. We saw in Nova Scotia, those guys, volunteers working for days. They left their families maybe on a Sunday and they didn't see their families until the next Sunday. So um, many things that happen. Uh, one of the biggest things to be aware of is the weight and the power of that drop. So we're moving forward when we're doing that, when you're dropping water or retardant, we're moving forward around 130 miles an hour. So that's almost 200 kilometers an hour forward. Okay. We open that gate and it will drop 800 gallons in a 40 square foot surface. So that's a lot of weight falling from the sky on top of you. So as a, on a structural fire, you need to know where you are and you need to be aware of what's going on around you. You don't just kick the door and walk in. You need to know if the window is open. You need to know if your hose is charged. Knowing where the planes are and how they're working is a big part of this. To be safe, okay? That water coming out of the sky, it will create many things. It will hurt. It hurts. Um, it will displace air with patches, you know, everything will be displaced. It will make your tools fly in the air if you left the tools, you know, and it will make you fly in, into the air. So that being aware of what's going on, that's the main thing. I know across Canada, we are super safe on procedures. We try to standardize in the procedures so everyone is aware. That's a good thing. So if I end up working with someone from Ontario, they know what's going on. Um, but if you're in doubt, ask, hey, should I be here? I see a plane flying on top of me. This is not an air show. Should I be here? That's, that's the main question. How better can we be prepared? Should we be doing more? Should this training be part of what we do in terms of uh, the wildland operations that we get involved in? Honestly, I, I, don't, I don't have an answer for that as what I do from the air is at the same level as you guys on the ground are doing. So it's hard for me to give a, a straight opinion if the training should be better or not. The only recommendation is, if you're in doubt, ask. Just ask, hey, should I be here or not? The main thing is, and I hear this a couple of times, trees burn. They will grow again, hopefully. 
If a house burn, okay, we'll build it again. If I end up hurting someone, I don't know if I will like it, okay? So it's mainly like ask your question, should I be here or not? Do you see the planes flying on top of you? Passing, that's, the, that's the, the main thing. For what I've seen from the air, the level of training that fire departments have around Canada is awesome. And they do their job on an amazing way. Now, from a, from the structural side, it's nice that you you have that structural experience. But from the air side, what 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 does the air crew? What do the pilots need to know about what the structural people are doing on the ground, or do they? Well, um, it's nice for us to know what a, a, let's let's imagine how long a hose is, so we can position it. If we see a tanker that has a hose laid down, how far away that guy can be, you know. Um, how many people is in an engine? So if you're on the air and you fly by and you see an engine and you see only one person, you're missing at least three more, at least three more. So that, that kind of stuff is kind of handy for us. Um, and also how they position the tankers or, or an engine to a structure that we're protecting. Um, that, that kind of stuff is really nice for us. Uh, however, we are lucky enough to have that air attack officer that is a super experienced firefighter most of them, are, they are both wildland and structural, so they know. And they are the other one in charge of telling us, hey guys, be careful, if someone in there, don't drop, abort. They are taking care, they are there to take care of the guys on the ground. That's awesome. And for anyone fighting a fire around planes, it's always someone tech trying to find them and taking care of them. I, I really appreciate you taking the time and talking about this today. It's it's uh, it, as again what I thought I knew uh, in my years of experience, and uh, you've certainly changed some of my perspective. And I hope uh, some of the listeners today as well. It's always something new to learn, and we learn a lot. Uh, we have had a chance to bring some some volunteer firefighters to the hangar a couple of weeks ago, and tell them what we see, show them the plane. Hey, if if you are there and you see this, you see that, just move out of the way, you know, and for for them to come to us and say, hey, no, we've been working for you. We don't see the lights. We always thought that it will see the lights that we have on. And like, no, we don't see the lights. So that's awesome for us to know, too. So that, that mutual feedback is great for us. Diego, I appreciate your time today. And thank you for the uh, sharing of the experience and uh, uh, be safe. And uh, and <laughs> we 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 know you enjoy what you do. And, and it's well, I guess it's a big thing for all of us that uh, if we didn't enjoy what we do, we, we certainly wouldn't be doing it. Uh, thanks a lot for this time. I, and I certainly enjoy the conversation with you. And hopefully we can talk again sometime. Thank you for joining Firefighting in Canada, the podcast. For more episodes, visit firefightingincanada.com.